Welcome to the Triathlete Hour. This week, we're talking with Bradley Weiss, who has a unique double lined up. This weekend, he'll tackle his first Ironman at Ironman South Africa, and then two weeks later, he'll look to defend his Xterra world title in Maui. They're two very different races in very different parts of the world. So how has he prepared for that? Bradley talks to us about getting into Xterra, coming out of school in South Africa, practicing his skills, and he has some tips for those of you looking to try off-road triathlon. Now, he went on to win two Xterra World titles and then moved over to 70.3 on the road. He was coming off his second world championship in 2019 and a top 10 at 70.3 Worlds and then COVID. Now, while life has been good to him in the last two years, a wife and a baby on the way, he also talks about managing the ups and downs of triathlon and performance through all of that. And what he'd change if he was in charge of the sport. All of that on today's episode after this short break. Power your next adventure with Outside Plus. Our Outside Plus membership gives you access not just to exclusive triathlete content, but to content across all our network brands like Backpacker, Velo News, Outside Magazine, and Trail Runner. With an annual membership, you get two magazine subscriptions, two Velo Press books, a library of resources like yoga journal meditation classes and clean eating meal plans, gear and event discounts, access to Gaia GPS, dozens of training plans through today's plan software, and a free finisher picks package each year. All for just $99. This is the world's best resource for training, nutrition, know-how, and how-to's. Join at triathlete.com backslash outside plus. That's outside P-L-U-S one word dot com. All right, this week we're talking to Bradley Weiss, two-time Xterra World Champ. But right now you're just telling me about it. You're preparing for the craziest double, Ironman South Africa, followed a week, two weeks later by the Xterra World Championships. Are you like where are you adding your training? How tired are you? How much are you regretting this decision? Well, firstly, thank you very much for having me on the podcast. Um, it took a very crazy double to get an invite, apparently. I've <laughs> 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 done some other stuff in, in the sport, but apparently taking on one of the most wild doubles gets you an invite to a podcast. So thank you for having me there on. There you go. Um, yeah, it's, uh, I think the idea was born through a little bit of um, COVID um, curiosity, if anything. And uh, I've, as you said, not done a, an Ironman yet, and this will be my first one. Um, and after the Ironman World Championships got cancelled uh, earlier this year, I was pretty convinced that Xterra would also be cancelled. Xterra mm-hmm. takes place typically in October in Maui, Hawaii every year, and they'd postponed it to December but I thought that was just wishful thinking on their behalf and you know at some point the, the event would be cancelled so myself and my coaches decided that an Ironman would be a great way to end the season um, I've been like really pushing to try and do one uh, it just hasn't made sense within my I've been pretty focused on the 70.3 um, distance of triathlon over the last sort of three years um, mm-hmm. and we thought it was just a, a good time to to throw an Ironman in there. And I think it takes a lot of time to develop as an Ironman athlete. And I just wanted to sort of dip my toe in the water, see what it's all about with relatively low pressure being a home race. Um, it's mm-hmm. it's an hour flight from my hometown of Stellenbosch. And um, having the hometown support, I think, is definitely worth a few watts on the bike and definitely dig deep at the end of the run um, 
when you have friends and family supporting. So yeah, that was the idea. And then all of a sudden the Xterra community started making noises that it's going ahead. And then all of a sudden we got an email that there was a green light and, and it was definitely going ahead. So didn't want to pull out because I kind of committed myself to the Ironman right. and yeah, decided, well, let's just well, uh, why not? do a Hail Mary and do it all at once. I mean, it's not crazy. Tyler Butterfield was ready to do Kona and then sprint relay world championships a week later. And that was even crazier. So <laughs> this isn't that crazy. I don't have the talent of Tyler Butterfield, but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no, but so how have you, <laughs> how have you changed your training both? I mean, you're now trying to train for a two hour event and a, I don't know, seven, eight hour event. And you're going to need to worry about recovery in between there. What are you doing differently? So I think um, similar to an athlete like Braden Curry, for instance, who races predominantly over the full Ironman distance, we spend a lot of time riding on mountain bikes anyway. Um, it's part mm. of our training. It's part of every day. It's what you know gets us up and out the door in the mornings. And I mean, in the end of the day, a lot of Ironman training is just in that sort of base aerobic phase um, of training. And it's more just preparing the body from a physiological standpoint, as opposed to um, anything really specific. And I'm very much talking out of turn because I've never done an Ironman before. But um, strictly speaking, those are the broad strokes of what you need to do. So I do spend a lot of time on the mountain bike anyway. Um, hmm. of course there are a lot of my quality sessions and a lot of my key sort of longer rides and stuff are all done on the time trial bike in the time trial position. Um, and I haven't just neglected that side of it. Um, but it is, it has been a bit of a balancing act, but I have enjoyed sort of balancing the two and in a typical, like for instance, this week of training, I did a session of eight by two minutes VO two max on the, on the mountain bike where, you know, me at. 60 kilograms or 130 pounds i was holding 400 plus watts um for two minutes that's interval. too much math for me to do like right <laughs> off the top of my head but it sounds on, impressive on a mountain bike which is just not something that an ironman athlete would be doing really right. um but then at the same time I have a six-hour ride this weekend right so you know you, i have the best of both worlds i feel and it just keeps me stimulated as an athlete um i've always mm. really enjoyed the high intensity um training and it's just it, it's definitely my aptitude as an athlete um, is definitely more towards the high intensity stuff. Um, so I feel like that is never outside of the realm where a lot of guys who focus on Ironman, if you ask them to go and do really high short intensity e intervals, right. it's really outside of their scope. Um, so I feel like coming from the other side, it's a little bit easier. Um, but in saying that, I just don't know how it's going to translate right, to right. an eight-hour race. You've now like jinxed yourself. It's going to be yeah. <laughs> well, it worked fine for Gustav Eden, so maybe it'll be fine. There you go. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> this is a weird question, though. As you were saying that, and I feel like I should know this. Are there power meters on mountain bikes? They are. Yeah. Um, okay. I mean, similar to road bikes, it's become more and more prevalent, but more um, common with yeah. the pedals and everything. Okay. So these days, it's built into the chainring. Um, mm. I've been using the SRAM um cork system right. so yeah okay because i know even here where i live where there's a lot of mountain bikers a lot of them still do a lot of their efforts on the road just because of you know there's technical issue like it's just there's lots of factors right with mountain yeah. biking versus no versus for all effort. of my exterior world championship titles that i've won i've prepared in boulder where there's pretty limited amount of off-road riding there's great like, gravel mm. riding but not really specific technical mountain biking so I ended up doing a lot of my key intervals on a tar road climb or um, something that's a little bit more structured and controlled where you can sit at a certain power output, whatever the prescribed session is. 
um, and hopefully be able to hit those watts where mountain biking, if you go out into the mountains and ride, it's very spiky and it's very right. seldom that you're going to find a two to five minute climb that is sustained. It's going to be a very steep pitch of 20 plus degrees and then it's going to flatten out a little bit then maybe hit a little technical section where you can't really pedal that much and then all of a sudden you're back into a really steep pitch so if you look at the power file of a climb like that it's pretty much all over the show um yeah so yeah it's typical that a lot of mountain bikers actually do a lot of preparation for the events on the road and then the technical element will go out and that's more of like say a 90 minute easy ride and you just spend a lot of as much time as you can on the trails hmm I have like so many more questions about how to get good at mountain biking. But first, I want to know, Ironman coming up, first one, as you said, you're like, not. what is the thing you're most not sure about that's like the biggest question mark for you? I think, so I just haven't raced anything longer than four hours. I mean, these days in okay. 70.3s, we going 3.46 was my last race. You know, mm-hmm. it's 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 so short in comparison to an eight-hour race that I just don't know how my body's going to respond once we get past six hours. Um, I think then also just the dynamics of how the race unfolds um, from what I've seen. I mean, these days with Ironman now and, and you know, we can watch almost start to finish and, and get a pretty good feel of what these races look like. And to me, from a spectator, it looks like the intensity levels have definitely stepped up a lot. There's a lot of um, key moves within the races, and it feels like if you make those moves and make that select pack, then you can settle in. And it seems easier from that stage mm. onwards to almost stay in that group. So for this past weekend, for instance, at Ironman California, we saw Florida. Lionel, uh, sorry, Ironman Florida. We saw Lionel, Gustav, um, I think Cam Worth, and there was one more, uh, Guillaume. Robert Killian. Yeah, Guillaume. Yeah. So the four of them definitely went really hard in the beginning and dropped Justin Metzler and a couple others um, who, made that, who made the swim pack. Um, and then they settled and they sort of, and they work really well together. So I think it's like surviving those early surges mm. and just getting yourself into those groups. Um, from the 70.3 racing that I've done, the the media crew and the race referees and all of that definitely plays into the race. So you really want to, it's very important these days to make that swim pack and be involved because trying to bridge across if you've missed it, you have to have like a Sam Long type of power to get yourself back. It's basically be a pro cyclist. Um, right. That's what they're doing these days to get themselves back into the race. Um, so my goal for the the Ironman coming up is to just have a really solid swim. Um, I've tried to study the start list as much as I can, but it's difficult these days because everybody puts themselves onto every start list they can find. I know, I know. It's like there's six... there's got to be a way to fix that. Yeah, I, know, I wish that Ironman would just send out some emails like in the weeks leading up and like, are you still doing this? Because I can see on certain athletes' profiles that they've announced on social media that they're not that you know they've ended right, their season, right. so they're definitely not coming. So why is their name still on the start list? Doesn't really make sense, but. Anyway. I mean, I think you should get like a couple freebies, like sure you pull out last minute, but then it should start being some kind of penalty, right? Like yeah. 50 bucks, like whatever it is, just then people would yeah, do yeah, it, you know? Yeah, for sure. But anyway, mm-hmm. like the guys that I do think are coming, there'll be some strong swimmers, but not a massive mm-hmm. amount of strong swimmers. So it could be interesting to see how that plays out in South Africa. It's late in the season, so it, people's form is always going to be a little bit hit and miss um some guys have raced quite a lot and then other guys like you know sebastian keenly could just come and completely destroy the field if he wanted you know if, if we get a sebi or vault so it's yeah really going to be a bit uh up in the air to see who's who are the guys that are making the moves 
Um, right. But yeah, it looks incredibly competitive from from the start list anyway. Interesting. I guess it's probably because it is one of the last ones of the year. And there's so few races right now that it's kind of like every race that happens yeah. is going to be competitive. Cool as well. Like I love competitive fields and there was mm. the Jan was like borderline coming as well. And I was pretty excited right. about that. It just raises the profile of the sport. And I think if we could get Ironman and 70.3 racing to a point where we have, you know, six or maximum eight world tier 70.3 and Ironman races that everybody's trying to get into and you have feeder races below those that you know you have right. to almost qualify to get into the a-level races would be a much better system than what we currently have where people are just getting would are well, just picking according to start lists and you know that's why we see oh, yeah, no there should be a are, tier yeah 100%. i mean they i have we're just going to solve the sports problems right now but like there i think they thought there was going to be tiers when they were designating like some races as lower points but then that obviously went by the wayside but yeah there definitely needs to be kind of like the the to, domestic pro kind of level races and then the next tier and you work yeah. your way up just like world cups at yeah. the world triathlon level it does yeah. sort of balance itself out with a with the yeah. pro prize purses but it doesn't work right. well enough there should be significant financial and points or whatever you want to call it benefit to racing a certain key number of races that you can only get in if you are ranked at a certain level in the sport so right. and then obviously know, this year it's been a mess so. yeah of course no, yeah. I wouldn't have worked this year. And they, I think they just, whatever <laughs> race goes ahead is just a, a bonus. So, yeah, not criticizing anyone for this year. But I think moving forward, for the sake of professional sport, at least, it would make a lot more sense to have, like, super competitive fields. I, I think we've seen it this year that, you know, it just raises the profile of the sport for everybody. For sure. And even if you did a race where, you know, Jan and Lionel and Gustav and everybody's racing, even if you are coming 6th, 7th, 8th, being a part of that story is good for your profile as well. So, um, mm. yeah, that, I hope that's the way that things are trending. Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't think it's going to be hard to convince Iron Man to have fewer pro races, right? Yeah, it shouldn't. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you didn't even start triathlon, though, until you were 19 or so, right? How did you get into it? And uh, did you start out mountain biking or did you pick that up later? Then? I know you started kind of doing some road and then you – moved on to off-road but if you didn't mountain bike as a kid like it's hard to learn how later it's way harder to learn to swim later <laughs> oh, okay <laughs> um yeah so i grew up in south africa and i played just sort of the traditional school sports which are rugby and cricket here in south africa oh okay um, which are your typical team sports um and i really enjoyed and thrived in that environment and went to actually went to an all boys school in stellenbosch mm -hmm. porus where dan hugo went as well and he was the head boy of the school at the time when i came in um he was head boy head boy to us sounds like such a hogwarts term <laughs> it's very funny <laughs> very british of us yes yes, yes. <laughs> um anyway so i'm um, i so that's sort of my schooling and I never even knew what triathlon was, but Dan went on to race mm -hmm. um, off-road triathlon professionally and sort of followed his career a little bit during school. And when I got into university, um, I'd kind of drifted away a little bit from playing rugby and was looking for the next sort of physical challenge. Uh, myself and my, my brothers, we were all pretty competitive growing up. And um, my dad decided that it would be a good idea to go and do the local Western Province Championships as a triathlon. It was a road sprint event that we did on mountain bikes, funnily enough. Um, 
And yeah, I mean, we wouldn't have placed very well overall in the race at all, but I uh, managed to beat my brothers and my dad. And I thought that was good enough reason to continue. <laughs> right, right. Um, and no, I just really enjoyed the triathlon community. Everybody was super welcoming and encouraging. And um, it just looked like a very cool sport that I knew nothing about. Um, so I was pretty familiar with sort of following gym programs and stuff like that at the time. So I went online and I found the you know, the equivalent of what a triathlon training program looks like. And I just started following, you know, what I found online. It was very, very basic. I had mm-hmm. no swimming experience. I was the first time into a swimming pool. And yeah, I was 19. I was studying an accounting degree here in Stellenbosch. And um, yeah, it was just that was just my recreational sport. And um, being the A-type sort of obsessive personality that I am, I got quite obsessed with it pretty quickly as I'm sure most people listening right. to this podcast will be familiar with, you know, we tend to obsess over things like that. And I think just that continuous progression and improvement was fulfilling enough to continue. Um, and that was just one step to the next and started racing on the road um, and qualified to go to the age group um, triathlon world championships, which I did oh, go to one? in Beijing in 2011. And I think I got. Oh, 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 okay. I got third in my age group of whatever it was, 18 to 24 or something like that. Um, and yeah, that was like a great experience, but I never thought that I would be going, taking it pro, you know, it was just like, this was just the hobby that I did on the side. And then when I finished my university degree, I carried on racing. And then that's when I stepped into Xterra. Um, and mm. we had at the time the biggest Xterra race um, on the global circuit. About in half an hour, yeah in South Africa mm-hmm. Xterra South Africa was huge and at the time Conrad was world champion and Dan was racing um Richard Murray was racing a little bit off-road so you know we had a very healthy local off-road triathlon community and um I got into involved there and had an opportunity in about 2012 to go traveling with Dan he invited me to come and do some racing with him um and yeah took a took in a, a bit of a leap of faith and left the job that I was currently working at and um, okay. started traveling and racing and sort of making enough money at one race to fund the flights to get to the next one, um, really living by the seat of my pants. Um, and yeah, this was a great way to live my early 20s. Um, and <laughs> yeah, one thing led to another and eventually managed to win, a win, win my first world title in 2017. Okay, so that's how you got kind of into it. And I know you train with with Flora and Dan, Dan, like, I feel like our reader, like our listeners, Dan Hugo is like this, this force, this behind the scenes, like he's never going to come on the podcast, but he's <laughs> always part of your guys's. And I was wondering how you all knew each other. And now it makes more sense. Yeah. Go. So originally through schooling, but he never, he wouldn't have really known me at the time, but I right. knew who he was, because that's kind of how the hierarchy system works in our schools here is that, you know, you kind of look up to the the leaders of the school, the head boy, um, even yeah. though they're just pupils. <laughs> and <laughs> they've got a lot of uh, respect and um, responsibility within our schooling structures. So, um, yeah, he yeah. went on to race and I sort of just followed in his footsteps very pretty much. And then uh, along came Flora Duffy, who at the time was not the queen she is today. <laughs> <laughs> she was, uh, yeah, I mean, just, a, yeah, really fun, happy-go-lucky girl from Boulder who was studying at the time and um, had an infatuation with Dan. And uh... <laughs> <laughs> that's, how, that's how we're going to characterize it. Okay. <laughs> no, they how... very, very good friends of mine and, yeah, still still do a lot of training with them and spend a lot of time together here in Stellenbosch as well as in Boulder. 
Yeah, it seems like there's a pretty good group in Selenbush. Once you decided, or once you kind of moved to off-road, and I hinted, how hard was it to to learn the skills? How technical is it? Because I feel like, you know, a lot of us, like I've tried Nextera and it was way too hard for me. I was like, I can't do this. And I feel like it intimidates a lot of our athletes and listeners and readers too. Like how hard is it to pick up? I mean, if it depends what your framework of reference is and if you know mm. if, if i compare it to like what a cross-country mountain bike requires in terms of skills and technical ability sure that's far beyond what you need for an exterior race um, but if you're coming from a road triathlon where you are familiar with being on a time trial bike on a tar road and maybe have one or two corners thrown in the mix you know then it does seem like quite a daunting task so i did ride a lot of off-road mountain bikes and bmx's and stuff growing up and that's just like sort of mm. how we had fun as kids so i was kind of kind of familiar with riding on single track in the forests um but i never really had any mountain biking um background at all i never raced mountain bikes growing up or um had any sort of familiarization with that um dan was pretty influential in helping me develop my skills early on um he was pretty good at creating sessions that we would do where instead of how I explained earlier, where you know a lot of mountain bikers will go onto the road and do the intervals on the road because it's a bit more of a controlled environment, we would rather go into the mountains and find a say a two to three minute climb straight mm-hmm. into a technical descent. So you do the climb really hard um, as your interval, and then your recovery, as opposed to just descending back down the same climb back to the starting point, you come down a technical single track trail. So that way you practice what it's like being in a race with your heart rate really elevated, um, pretty tired, fatigued from a hard climbing interval, and then trying to focus and ride as smooth and, and um, fast right. on the single track and then straight back into the climb and maybe do like five or six laps of that. Um, so that sort of stuff was was really beneficial in my early years, and I still do a lot of it today. But I did then figure out that if I threw myself into specific mountain bike races, those are so much beyond what exterior is in terms of technical ability and the, the like skills required to, to race at that level that I just raced on those circuits locally. Hmm. And then when I went across to exterior, you know, it felt like, oh, this is, I, ba- I basically don't even use any of my technical skills. I was begging the race organizers to make it more technical for me. Um, oh no. <laughs> so yeah, I guess it's just just your perspective and, and framework of reference what what you perceive as what's difficult and what's not, but I think on the large majority of exterior courses, the ones that I've traveled to, you can get around even with very basic skills. You know, you don't need to be taking big drops and stuff and um if my recommendation to anybody who wants to go out and do an exterior is to just take a little bit more time off of work or whatever you need to do maybe plan a little family vacation and go out to the race destination a couple of days earlier and pre-ride the course. Xterra organizers hmm. are generally pretty good at pre-marking the whole course. Um, so I'll typically travel out to a race on the Monday or Tuesday prior to the event and do at least two, maybe even three laps of the course and practice certain technical elements of that course. So that okay. by the time you hit it at race day, it's not a case of, can I get down this? It's, I know the fastest line down here. Um, hmm. And that's just, you go in with a very positive mindset as opposed to a fearful mindset. It's funny you mentioned the, or you were talking about doing this stuff when you're tired. Cause that's one of the things that I think that I was actually thinking about is Xterra or Mountain Bike. It takes so much more focus and paying attention. And then as opposed to 70.3 or Ironman, where it's almost like reverse, you have to learn how to 
deal with being bored and like going yeah. in a straight yeah. line for a and that's almost like totally different mental skills. Yeah. How do you practice? But which is harder to you? Yeah, it's interesting because when I got into Xterra, it was like the mental demands of that race was so high. Like just being right. able to just mentally deal with like a, an hour and 20 on the mountain bike with so many different elements, trying to remember what you had pre-written during the week, um, different features. I mean, literally we'll memorize a descent that we know, okay, that rock I need to hit just to the left of it because it'll set me up well for the next corner. You know, you're coming over blind rises and that's sort of the mental skills that I was trying to develop. And then I went into Ironman racing, even just the 70.3. And after like five minutes on the bike, I was like, is this all we're going to be doing? <laughs> <laughs> like, I got another two hours on the bike here, bored as hell. Um, but it's yeah. just, it's a very different mental space and that you need to be able right. to sit like on the limit for four hours for a 70.3 event, you know, and just figure out how to almost trick yourself mentally in dealing with that pain. And that's one thing that I hadn't really developed, I feel, mm. within Xterra racing is because there are so many other factors that are thrown at you that the actual physical exertion is almost hidden in some ways where it's very in your face in an Ironman race or in any road event. You know, it's like you are there alone with your screaming. Right, it's all you have to think about. There's no yeah. way of getting away from it. You're just like, okay, well, this is it. This is what it's going to be for the next few hours of your life whether you like it or not so I think it's two very different mental challenges and it's been interesting to try and sort of overcome both of them which do you like better so far oh absolutely Xterra um okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's a far easier mental challenge than than Ironman and I predict the full Ironman is going to be a whole new level of um, mental fortitude and strength and I mean it's probably something that I uh, like credit myself on being mm -hmm. pretty strong mentally but I think all professional athletes are um, and it's almost just how you can sort of outlast and outwit your competitors because from a physiological standpoint we're all actually relatively similar we do very similar sessions right, right, we, right. you know training very similar hours so ultimately mentally is what does make the difference on the day I did hear a joke sometime. You know how professional athletes are. There's some professional athletes who are like, "Oh, I, I'm not talented. I just work hard." It's almost like if you're a professional athlete, by definition, you're probably pretty talented. Yeah, like, you're it's talented. Just Otherwise, you wouldn't be racing. <laughs> you wouldn't <laughs> be racing. Yeah, <laughs> you wouldn't be able to. I don't think. Yeah. No, no. Um, but you've been doing so. You like Xterra more, but you've been doing more and more 70.3s. That's kind of been more your focus. And now, obviously, you think you're going to be moving into Ironman and long course. Why are you like, why, why did that shift? Yeah. I mean, this is my job in the end of the day and you need to make, right. make a living and, you know, the financial component to, to racing professionally is, is really important as well. And, and being valuable to your partners and sponsorships um, and creating a relevant storyline that people want to engage in and follow and, and be a part of. Um, I raced Xterra from 2012 through until, I, I mean, I still race Xterra today, of course, but um, I raced it exclusively through until 2017. I didn't do any on-road racing up until that mm -hmm. point. And after I won my first Xterra World title in 2017, and then I won my second world title in 2019. And I mean, hadn't ticked the box and like, okay, I've done that now. I want to move on. But I just wanted to maybe expand my horizons a little bit more. So after winning the second Xterra World title, I decided that I would try and um, 
just expand my portfolio a little bit more. And I did really want to explore how good I could be on the 70.3 um, mm-hmm. you know, field. Um, on the yeah, on, sorry, the 70.3 circuit. And I uh, raced a couple local events and did all right and then went across and sort of tried to le- link up events overseas. So I would go over, maybe do one or two Xterras and then a 70.3 race and um, – Unfortunately, that meant traveling with two bikes, which is an absolute nightmare. Um, has been a few tantrums thrown in airports or, along the way. Um, okay. Luckily, my wife now travels with me, so we at least can solve that that debacle. Um, but yeah, I I just I felt like as an athlete, I was drawn a little bit more to the seventy point three challenge and uh, wanted to explore how well I could do in that in that environment. And similarly to Ironman, now um, I feel like as in like my aptitude should allow me to race well over that distance mm-hmm. but until you do one you don't you don't really know how you're you gonna don't perform. know yeah i think some people have tried and just figured like no that's really not for me and then went back shorter and if if that's the case I'll, I'll happily admit like okay not talented enough to take on the guys who are racing over the full distance um but i think because i've been successful enough over the 70.3 distance that i should be able to race relatively competitively over full ironman yeah, I mean, there's certainly like a new gener. You see a lot of the younger athletes now. They don't. They're distance agnostic, right? Like they're jumping into all kinds of different things, yeah. and it just Absolutely. doesn't matter. Yeah, <laughs> they break the rules. Um, that's for sure. I mean, I for think, sure. Yeah, uh, was Chevalier was like 24 years old, and he smashed Ironman Mallorca the other day against like some veterans of the sport. And yeah, it's crazy. These younger guys are just throwing the rule book out the window. Uh, it's pretty cool to see. And it's definitely inspiring mm-hmm. and uh, shows you that you don't have to be a one trick pony. You can kind of race across all formats. And hopefully I can prove that as well <laughs> in a couple of weeks time. So in terms of, uh, you said that, you know, you have to make a living and obviously we all know that like, I mean, I don't know that act, I'm not actually convinced that all the money's in Kona, but we know that that's sort of the thing that hangs over all pros i know a lot of people when have you, lost a lot of money in kona so they actually lose a lot of that's money that's why yeah. there's a lot of money in kona because everyone goes and spends it there. <laughs> i know so I'm, I'm not actually i think there's actually some pros who have made a very good case for not doing kona but yeah. in terms of winning xterra worlds did you really see things change after that did you actually how big of attention did you get after that especially yeah. the second time not really not really it didn't really move the needle mm-hmm. in a big way of course it's great and i mean all of my sponsors were were over the moon and very, um, you know, happy to be a part of that story. But in terms of like changing the bottom line, not really outside of the prize Mm. money didn't really, didn't really move the needle. Um, Not the way winning an Ironman world title would be, whether it be a 70.3 or full Ironman. Yeah. Unfortunately, Xterra is just still, I mean, triathlon itself is a pretty small niche sport and Xterra is, is just a very small fraction of that. So um, you can't really expect it to change your world overnight. I mean, it definitely right. did establish me as like a prominent feature and people, when I go to races now, you know, I am, here's Bradley Weiss, the two-time world champion. So it gives they you, it gives you. you a right. bit of credibility from that point right. of view, but outside of that, not really. Yeah. And 19, you, I mean, you did another double, you were like ninth at 70.3 worlds and then one Xterra worlds, what, a month later? Yeah. Something like that. So you had to be feeling pretty good coming out of 2019 and thinking like this is and then we hit COVID, right? Yeah, 100%. I I feel like when I look back on it now, like my trajectory was really, really good and and consistent and steady. And 
Um, actually, just before Xterra World Championships, I raced against Lionel at 70.3 Augusta and took him down mm. to like a sprint finish in the last kilometer. Um, and that was like really validating to me that I got a top 10 at 70.3 Worlds and then went across and raced in the US against Lionel and, and had a really good showing against him. And I was like, right, I've kind of established myself here. And then went on to win Xterra World, World Champs. So it was a really, really good end to the season took a lot of momentum into 2020 and um the world shut down on us and then right. it became pretty um pretty awkward pretty quickly um <laughs> we were at the time in boulder preparing for 70.3 oceanside um okay. and yeah i actually got quite unquote stuck in in boulder we chose to stay there because right. luckily in the u.s they they valued your mental health and um your right to go and exercise and be outdoors where here in South Africa people were locked inside you know you had maybe a, a an hour a day that you were allowed outdoors to go and exercise and I was just like I don't well know. at the start yeah yeah I remember talking to Flora and Dan right after and they got stuck in South Africa for months and yeah bought like a treadmill because yeah, you like crazy. basically had to equip your garage. It was we were nice. actually staying at their house in Boulder, <laughs> and they couldn't get there, so we were like, "We'll stay here and look after it for you guys. Don't worry." <laughs> so you guys, got... we would have been out on the street if it wasn't for them. <laughs> so you were stuck in Boulder for yeah. for COVID, but then you know, I got to didn't know have the any races wine really scene very well. It's the Boulder wine scene. Is that a scene? Is that a thing? It's quite a thing. Yeah. Okay. It's uh it's not a very wise way to spend your money, but it's it's a lot of fun. Okay. <laughs> so how did you kind of deal with COVID? Obviously, uh not obviously, I've been saying that you got married during COVID, you now are about to have a baby. So like life went on. Yeah. How did you kind of deal with, you know, balancing all of that? Yeah, it was a very awkward couple of years, but from a personal standpoint, outside of triathlon, it's been great. Uh yeah, I got <laughs> married, I bought a house, got a baby on the way. Um, so it's been very productive from that side of things. Um, but yeah, um, from the racing standpoint, I didn't actually race particularly well. Um, mm. Had um, Challenge Daytona at the end of 2020, which was the only real event that we had on the calendar um, right. in 2020 outside of a few PTO supported events. And that just, I think I had way too long of a buildup into it. Um, I just had too much time on my hands and and ended up, training the house down and just I think I was completely shattered by the time I got to December I've never had such a long season either and it was kind of awkward because there was always this hope that a race would happen because of the Ironman schedule at the time um they would keep races on this on the calendar and I mean despite everybody else being sane and saying like Brad these races are not going to be happening (laughs) (laughs) um it just it's very difficult to actually accept that and and move on um so you find yourself in this con- like perpetual um preparation for races which just was exhausting in the end of the day um so i think that really burnt me out didn't race well at the end of 2020 came home as you say bought a house got married which was great um <laughs> which is great was lovely. <laughs> um and then started the 2021 season, um, which has been a little bit hit and miss. Unfortunately, the large majority of the racing was back in the U.S. So I traveled back mm-hmm. to the U.S., uh, raced in St. George um, in May to just get a little bit of experience on the course. And um, I finished in the top 10 that day, and it was a very competitive field, probably more competitive than the 70.3 World Champs ended up being. Um, it was For the much- men, I think that is yeah. true. Yeah, 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 yeah. The, true. 
um, yeah, the men the men's field was um, in the end of the day actually relatively soft for world champs. It was it was strong top end, but um, it tapered off pretty quickly. Um, and after racing there, I thought, okay, this is great. Like I, I felt very confident going into world champs. I mean, I wasn't really in the shape that I thought I would be in come seventy point three worlds. So. When we went back to to the US later in the year, I raced 70.3 Boulder, um, got fourth there. Then I went on to win 70.3 Maine about three weeks later and felt like my trajectory was going really, really well. Um, And had this weird event during 70.3 Worlds where my entire diaphragm started cramping. Um, Hmm. We still don't really understand what happened, but the only way I can explain it is similar to the way like your leg would cramp. My entire diaphragm was cramping my intercostal muscles to the point like I couldn't take a deep breath. Um, I was really battling to breathe and I was having to like sit up on my, my bars and just try and like get a, get a breath. And then, I mean, I was riding at like really pathetic watts at that point, just going backwards at a rapid rate. Eventually stopped. I got off my bike and tried to, reset and just wasn't wasn't settling down so decided that I had to pull the pin and it was my first DNF so to happen at world champs especially after getting a top 10 in Nice at 70.3 worlds in 2019 I was pretty confident going in and I had really good form that was the most frustrating part and the course does suit me really well as well so yeah it was just a little bit of a an unknown and two weeks later I went and raced 70.3 Memphis and it went really well ran a 109 on the on a pretty wet and horrible day and it, so I had really good good races either side right, of, right. of world champs but somehow didn't have a very good race at 70.3 worlds and unfortunately our sport does remember these you know oh, yeah. moments in time and if you don't perform when it counts everybody forgets what happened around it <laughs> it's also uh it's, we, we are very much a what have you done for me lately right yeah, yeah kind yeah. of sport exactly yeah. Coming back from a DNF is tough too. Uh, you said that's your first one. Do you, how do you kind of like, how did you deal with that? Bounce back from that? From the 70.3 Worlds performance? From the DNF, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was pretty, pretty dark and down on myself. Um, yeah. But yeah, my wife was always the realist and tried to just remind me that, you know, it's not, that doesn't define you as an athlete. It's just one bad result. And I'd had a decent season up until then. And still had a couple more races to go. So, um, yeah, managed to refocus pretty quickly. I didn't end up doing any physical damage. So from like physically, mm. I was I was good to go. But by the next day, I went out and did a hard run session and just to test <laughs> test my whole like aerobic <laughs> system to see if I was still actually. I was really frightened that I that caused some physiological right. damage that was going to huh. be like perpetuating throughout, and I would have to take like an extended break for it to settle down. But it was a little bit of like tightness and fatigue in my chest, but nothing really bad. Um, so yeah, two weeks later, I managed to race and raced really well. And um, I finished second in Memphis and that sort of put put it behind me. And then having this, this Ironman on the horizon allowed me to sort of refocus pretty quickly. I came home and took a short break and then got into that, that block of training. And then obviously we got news that Xterra was going ahead, which gave a little bit more momentum to that build. Um, right. and yeah, pretty excited to end the season with those two events, but I'm not putting too much pressure on myself. And I do realize that I might end up, um, being the bridesmaid at both events here. Um, <laughs> right. It might end up being a mess, but that's okay. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. What are you going to do after then? Once you're, are you going to stay in Maui? 
party? Um, it's still enjoy the wine scene. Uh, we might stay there for a little bit of a vacation. Um, if my wife mm. comes with me, um, if not, I'll come back home. Um, my wife is going to be six months pregnant at that time, so it's quite a it's quite a long travel from South Africa. So we're trying to weigh up the cost um, and you know whether it's it's worthwhile traveling out that far. Um, but if if she doesn't come, then I'll head back to South Africa and we'll do a, do a vacation here. Um, December time in South Africa is definitely sort of family relaxation holiday time. So I'm pretty excited that finally my rest happens over that time because typically I'm racing world championship events in October, take November off and December sort of refocusing right. on the next season. And then you're awkwardly trying to train through Christmas, New Year period where everybody else is on vacation and, and relaxing and having a holiday. It's summer here, so that's our equivalent of summer break. Um, so I'm pretty excited to have some time off then. And then, yeah, we're expecting in in uh, 2nd of March is due date, so end of Feb. Um, they haven't released the dates for next season yet, so I haven't. Really oh, the, the races, yeah. yeah. Are you gonna? Really are you gonna like? You know, I mean, you have a kid, like you. You kind of have to time it right, right? Like you kind of have to be off around that. So you're gonna wait then and race later yeah it's interesting i it's been difficult because they haven't released the schedule um so we considered just pushing on and training through december and then Mm -hmm. hopefully getting like a jan feb they often have like 70.3 dubai 70.3 bahrain um Mm -hmm. those sort of um, middle eastern races over that time of the year so i did consider doing that but i have a feeling that after this double i'm going to be pretty smashed and need a break um yeah we'll just have to take it uh one week at a time next year and see what sort of form i'm in and what i'm willing to take on but no doubt we'll be spending a lot more time in south africa and then i'll be doing trips from here um and hopefully the little one and the missus can join for some of those trips um when when it makes sense yeah there's one more thing we could fix for iron man they should release the pro schedule earlier no i don't i don't understand why why they keep it a secret until i I don't know when do they typically release it again i'm I'm not sure they usually would release now for at least the first three or four or six months i'm assuming i mean i don't know obviously everyone blames everything on COVID these days but i'm assuming it's a COVID thing okay well Mm -hmm. hopefully they release it sooner than i can make some plans So does your, you mentioned obviously your wife coming with you for races was better than when you have all the bikes. Do you usually like have a whole family trip here, adventure? Um, No. Well, the only time any of my other family have come has been for the 2017 Xterra World Champs. My parents came out um, and they'll actually be coming this year as well. So they've decided to take some vacation and come and join me in Maui. So they'll definitely be coming. Um, and yeah, Dina is still to be decided, but right now she doesn't have tickets. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a long travel from South Africa. It's pretty expensive. So we don't typically do the whole big family um, holiday, although I do try and convince my family to come over. Um, they are hesitant. <laughs> Why? What's... Well, it's, I mean, it's a great time of year here. It's just... So, oh, yeah, 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 you know, beaches are pretty good and um we have a vacation property um that you know my my family love to hang out at over the the holiday time so yeah it's uh traveling is i think especially now because of covid it's a little bit more tricky 
Um, mm-hmm. But typically, as South Africans, we we travel to like Europe for a ski vacation just because it's kind of foreign to us. Um, but yeah, going all the way to the US is quite a long, quite a long trip. <laughs> so what is your, I mean, you've obviously then traveled lots and lots of places. What is your favorite place to race and train? Hmm. Hmm. Question. I really have loved racing in Asia. It's just like so different okay. in the community and the culture there is, is awesome. And I've been really welcomed there. Unfortunately, I haven't really managed to get back there since um, COVID hit us. Um, so I really do like enjoy the the event side there. Um, from a training point of view, I, I struggle to look past Stellenbosch. I would encourage anybody who can, can get themselves here. The cost of living is incredibly affordable. Um, and the standard of living that we are like, like lucky enough to have is is really good. Um, and then, of course, Boulder. But that is typically like a very focused time of my life. Um, so mm-hmm. while it, it's great and it, it serves its purpose perfectly, it's definitely sort of holds a very specific um, place in my heart where it's like I feel like a lot of success has come out of Boulder for me. Um, mm-hmm. And I love going there and spending time. But, you know, after being away from home for six months, I normally like can't wait to get back to to home. Right. So, right. On the other hand, racing Ironmans, you typically race a little bit less. Um, so I'm kind of looking forward to spending a bit more time at home um, moving forward, especially growing a little family here. Um, right. We'll probably put roots down a little bit more and I'll be doing a lot of my preparation here, which I mean, I'm, I'm pretty happy with. And uh, then traveling out to events um, from here and having this as home base. Yeah, I mean, we were talking before. Is Stellenbosch like the hot new, not even new, but the hot training triathlon spot? There's a growing number of high level athletes there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. We're still sort of figuring out the the pool situation. We've got a great 50 mm-hmm. meter pool, but access to it is is hit and miss. Um, but no, we're definitely growing a nice little little community here of of professional athletes and people who who come out season on season, especially the Europeans because of our seasonal differences. You know, they mm. try and escape the winter months. Um, so we typically see like now they start to to really filter in and have a lot of training partners. Um, but even locally, I've got a really great running squad that I run with, um, the the swimming team that I swim with as well. Typically, a bunch of sixteen year olds who can destroy me at any moment (laughs) um and then yeah a really good running squad it's uh floridafi's run coach as well ernie grin who runs a a very successful um running squad here in in stellenbosch and we have access to a a beautiful track and yeah you couldn't really ask for more as a triathlete um, to base yourself here it's all you know within two minutes from my front door as well as (laughs) some of the most beautiful mountain biking um you could ever ask for so for especially what I require as a triathlete, um, racing across Xterra and Ironman. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm very, very happy and, and comfortable here and hopefully get a few more athletes here in the future. A few more people. I heard once uh, Conrad Stoltz dug his own like 25-yard pool in his backyard <laughs> because there wasn't a pool there. So yep, that's, that sounds like that's a thing true. he would do. I think it was on his farm, actually. Um, yeah. they, they own a farm up country and, and he decided that the best way to get some swim training when he went on vacation to his, his family farm was to dig himself a pool. Um, and I have it on good authority because I saw this. He dug his own pool at his house here in Stellenbosch as well and then um, bought himself a swimming pool because you can just buy those things. And 
drop that into the hole. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's a bit more technical than that. And eventually I think he needed some help, but uh, that's Conrad's thoughts for you. He'll give any, anything a crack at least once. <laughs> Probably not a bad life bad. to live by. <laughs> all right. So last thing for our listeners who like are like, all right, I want to try Xterra. What is your one tip then for pick, for moving from you know, regular running triathlon to Xterra? How should they get started? I think just not being too intimidated by it. It's not as daunting mm-hmm. of a of an undertaking as people, you know, like to think. And um if you are in the position that you can travel out a little bit sooner to the event than um, mm-hmm. you know than the actual that's race good. weekend, uh, that's definitely a, a bit of advice that I, w- I would highly recommend is to go out and practice the course and just get familiar with it, and then you're a lot more comfortable on race day and and you can really push hard. And I think um, I think it's such a wonderful sport, Xterra. It's uh, it sort of ticks all of the boxes from a triath- from a on road triathlete standpoint, and that you get to push yourself physically. But then the, the outdoors element, being in the forest, being in nature, I think it's a little bit more raw, a little bit more, um, I don't know, just fulfilling from that point of view as just like being a human being in nature and, and using your body to overcome some pretty cool obstacles. It's a little less clean cut and, and sterile that, you know, Ironman racing can tend to be. So it's a, it's a really awesome community as well. They're very welcoming, very engaging and very helpful. So um, yeah, I would highly encourage anybody to to get involved. To try it. Try anything once, right? Exactly. <laughs> well, thank you so much for chatting with us and good luck at uh, at your first Ironman. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. And uh, maybe we'll have to do another podcast after the double and see whether it was a success or not. <laughs> there you go. Thanks to Bradley for the chat and good luck in South Africa this weekend. Now, if you're interested in following along, you can tune in to Ironman Now's Facebook Live coverage on Sunday, which will be overnight Saturday for those of us in the U.S., or catch up with our weekend recaps on triathlete.com on Monday. In the meantime, keep listening and keep training.